0: The following is from the book, Green Unpleasant Land, by Richard Freeman. Drake's Bear They looked like an army, of police in their helmets, armed with batons, crouching behind riot shields. They looked like Nazi stormtroopers. Behind them loomed the diggers and the bulldozers, their headlights falling down like spotlights, On the scene, they were an army, and this was a battle, a very real war. We were ready to take the fight to them. I was crouching low in one of the lookout posts on the edge of Elfland. That's what we called it what's what we called it Elfland, a rambling network of tree houses and rope bridges been my home for the last six months, a glance around, taking in some of the faces anew from the crowds of Elflanders. Now amassed to fight for their homes, and for their survival draped bare woods. Kingsley Evans, a sick foot punk with a pink Mohican, a surd voice like a cartoon mouse, crazy Lill with a shaven head, Extensive tattoos, Billy the Troll, a hairy little Scotsman, so called for his ability to dig and live in tunnels. On his of all was Mrs. Park park Parkhurst, Punk, Punk, Elfland's oldest resident, a seventeen year old from the little town of Drake's End. She had hated the proposed relief road, and brought a thought for survival of the woods on the onset. She had lived in the rugged conglomeration of a aboriginal shanties longer than I had I clutched a cricket back to my chest and tensed myself for police charge beside me were several petrol bombs and canisters of homemade napalm a nasty mixture of vaseline polystyrene and petrol I always knew it would come down to this a final battle but a reality of being there The thick, pretendulous atmosphere made my stomach turn over. Then from behind our ranks came a voice. And when he had eaten all he could, and when he had his fill, he called away and wound his tail nine times about the hill. He stepped out of the shadows and pushed his way towards the front line, walking forwards into No Man's Land. He stood before the police and the work crew as bold as brass. It was Goatface. Goatface had always been part of Drake's Bear. As far as I was concerned, a semi-legendary character. I played in the woods as a boy. My friends and I were dating each other to go deeper. Into where the lights would shut, didn't shine. Into where the mad tramp lived. He would come scuttling out the shadows, muttering under his breath. Or sometimes loom from behind an ancient oak. Or used silent as a ghost. I guess he must have looked pretty much like the average tramp. He wore a fading black trench coat, even in the middle of summer. It was tied a piece of hairy string In lieu of a belt He had shabby grey trousers And hobnail boots He had a long uncapped beard And gave him his name Always freckled with spittle Filth and crumbs It was almost as if he's was eating something in it He ever a beaten face Had a Gaelic Quick hawk nose And two mad padded eyes As shone out through the grime He looked like some Ungodly cross between all father time, now that steps toe. The woods themselves were equally as odd, according to the maps of Drake's Bear, covered around 300 acres. It seemed so much bigger, perhaps it just looked that way for a child's eyes, but the odd effect still struck me when I returned as an adult. Even the edges, very little light penetrated, is filtered through the dense canopy of herbage above. This gave the woods an odd sort of constant, vibrant twilight. Everything seemed tinted green. And bare. you could think yourself in the middle of the Siberian Tangier. It would seem so distant, so far from civilization. A center stood Worm Hill. Worm hill rose several hundred feet out of the middle of the woods. Visible miles around it was a well-known local landmark. No sheep ever grazed there. It was circled by rings that formed tiers Up its sides, the local legend was that they were formed by coils of a dragon that laird in a hollow hill and came out to wrap itself about the mould. A mound. We climbed up a number of occasions. We were always out of puff by the time we reached the top. It was worth it for the view. Miles of North Yorkshire miles were visible on a clear day. Could make out Whitby on the coast of the east. We could run down the spiral coals and the hill, imagining what size of beasts would have made them. My dad told me that Wormhill Hill was actually an Iron Age fault, and circles were its ramparts. Apparently, in the early 1960s, a team of archaeologists for Leeds University excavated this area. But only dug, but the area, but the dig only lasted a week, and closed down abruptly. Apparently, nothing to note was found. Team's leader, Professor Amos Hartley, retired afterwards. The hill been left undisturbed ever since. As we got older, a few goatfeats listened. He never actually did anything to us. He was never aggressive or unkind, but he was just there. You would see him in the woods. He might stare briefly, but then he would go away into the trees like an animal lived deep in the centre of the woods. I saw his home a couple of times. It was in a, t- a thick, tangled strand of black form. I stumbled in it quite by accident. He roved in the thorny branches to the form of tunnels, running into a central dome, woven thicket and congregated. Iron, with old bits of turpauling, tarpa- strung across it, a makeshift chimney rose of, up from it black and sooty. It wasn't us who gave him his name. It was an older boy, Keith Beefy Johnson. Beefy Johnson was a bully drake in middle school. Now he was quite a coward of his own. Briefly, Beefy usually had an entourage of henchmen, the Beefy Johnson gang. It took to hanging around the woods. It gave the old man the name of Great Face. It would torment him, screaming, goat face, goat face, over and over, throwing stones and running when he hovered at after them, swinging the gnarled old wilking stick he always carried, he wheezed horribly and dribbled phlegm down his f- beard. He mumbled and hissed, but I never made out the words, they sounded foreign. Sometimes he played strange music and set the carved black pipes. The eerie sound would float down through the woods, sounding more like a piping language than music. I was amazed when my granddad said he knew him. Albert Barnes Skinner was his real name. He said his family came from Northumberland way. I knew him when I was at university down in Leeds. My granddad had done three years at the university, rare for a working-class bloke in those days. He studied farming, agriculture. It was, but long after the war. He'd been a bright lad and won a scholarship. He went on the farm rapeseed just outside Wakefield. Wouldn't you credit it, would you lad? We were bloody clever once, best in the year. We wouldn't have just been a farmer. He would have got a great job down at Old Smoke with the agriculture culture Department or something. I won't believe it was the same boat me. What happened, granddad? if he was so clever like what happened to him, I asked. Well mad, son. Mad as a bag bag of spoons. You got a boast of religion. Don't ask me which one. Some crap but foreign rubbish, I think. Sometimes he found found his old book we found his old book in one of them creaky old bookshops up Hayden and Bridgeway. So he told him how to grow crops really fast, no matter how poor the soil was. So he knew wrong gods in earth fertility. nor more he the loon he had got, he'd wander up into the moors and into the woods for days on end. Miss Leches never was come back to these digs covered in dirt and blood. Some of the other students said he was sacrificing curts and dark chickens to su- to something up with Drake's bear. But I can't say if it was true or not. He said he had a theory that we'd revolutionise farming, so there'd be no hunger ever again. Now this was just off the wall. people were still taking, being rationed, having that as this why, having that that's why Tom Furley was tolerated up at the University to the point, he could, I mean big, I think he could have really done something special by groundbreaking. One night he was caught wandering through campus, covered in mud and blood, screaming his ruddy head off. He'd torn thrown off the course and kicked out of his lodgings. He just lucked and l- left for the woods. Lived there ever since. Never been right in the head since he was wrong and he's wrong than that bloke. I often wondered what the old man lived off. I suppose he might pick berries, got his own food. I thought he might have some livestock. Because of several occasions, heard him mention feeding it. It seemed to be only words he said that were not gibberish. The Beefy Johnson gang continued to torment Goatface for a couple of years. and Beefy disappeared. Nobody was ever found despite a massive police search. No one has ever charged I suppose they wouldn't have questioned old Aberdeer Skinner. I never heard anything about it. The Johnson's moved away down south. Some of the people in the village suspected mad old bastard up the woods and some had done beefy in. They spoke darkly about him, but no one ever did anything. My mum wouldn't let me play in those woods after that. My mates, mum, all did the same thing. This was the summer of 1977. I didn't see a goat face again for years. I grew up in school, attended college and finally moved away to study ecology at Cardiff University. I joined at the Greenpeace there and went on several protest marches and rallies. Just after my graduation I heard of the government plans when I was straight through my childhood playground. There were bee orchards in Drake's Bear. There were red squirrels, some said. There were even mouse bats. Stuff you rarely find elsewhere. The woods were like a nat- little national park. The plan was to run a leaf road through the woods and skirt around Wormford Hill. were destroying many acres of this set. The forest, the danger that the heavy f- traffic would pose to wildlife was obvious. I left immediately to join a direct action protest. The thought of another piece of grain stripped away forever made my blood boil. The fact that it, it was my piece of grain made me all the more angry. The group grew over the weeks and months. So as did Elfland. I was surprised to find goat was still alive and well. We didn't see him that often, usually would hear his unsettling music rising through the woods, when the moon was fat a wet, reedy, piping, pregnant with strangeness when we did bump into him on some deep woodland path he'd never speak, but gave us a nod as if he knew what we were doing, and was grateful I almost got to like him, almost it cost the government hundreds of Thousands of pounds, put their nasty little project back months. Roadblocks, iron spikes, and tyres, calibrated tracks, and sand and engines. We tried all the tricks. It looked like it was all over. We were well entrenched, but vastly outnumbered. All that stood between the police, the diggers, and us with Albert Skinner, old goldface. The sun was calling behind the horizon, throwing the whole scene to Ethel Cloak or Twilight. The old man cast off his huge trench coat and stood bare-chested. His scorny body was a network of scars, strange symbols carved into his flesh, and had an unpleasant feeling that they were self-inflicted. He threw back his head and bellowed, An emanistic primal scheme, I found hard to equate with such a frail-looking old man. Then he began his gibbering, if they were words, then they were not in any language known to me. They sounded more like gruntal snorts, high-pitched whines, and horrid tritterings. Or perhaps they were vergeries, virgurids of the original primal uh, uh, uber language, raised up for the old man's subconscious. Who knows, the police? Must have been to sl- slightly taken aback. He didn't do anything. The height of his moon could have called ravings. He threw back his head and whipped a black bladed knife out of his malicious pocket. Quick as a flash, he was cutting sigils in his own flesh. Tearing up swells and curves of flesh with tears of blood. His hands moved fast. Across his pigeon chest, while his face, seemed lost in ghastly expression of almost a cosmic ecstasy, as the reels of gore fell into the dust, shrieked something I think must have been an invocation, in a calling the name of something. Allah Orai Logogara. There's a dry rustling for the woods. Behind us, something stirred in tree trots and made the dread leaves. danced tiny horses. The ground began to tremble as if something was stirring beneath our feet. A murmur broke out among the ranks, but someone noticed the police were staring, not at us, but behind us. As one the crowd turned around, up at Hill. It seemed to be an odd kind of nuberous about it, like a heat haze. It seemed to trace a path between the ruts and the, it circled the hill. The effect seemed to move an a vivian grace. It ran like water down the tracks, forming coils about the hill. As I watched, trying to work out what was causing the strange sight, I noticed it seemed to be solidifying. The haze was becoming more like a greenish light. The front end of the phenomena reached foot of the hill and seemed to slide into the trees. There was a rustling in the woods that began to grow as the coil after coil, a green light, slithered down from the hill and entered the woods. None of us knew what it was. I think we all imagined it to be some kind of trick. Skinner of in I recall being impressed at that point and wondering how the old bugger pulled it off. None of us were ready for what came next. Afterwards came a sound, is it more it's like nothing I ever heard. I could try to explain it is being bird-like, a sort of thundering screech They would do it justice. It is more base. It was almost as if the sound was inside my head rather than external. I know that it can't be right. I saw the others react to it. Noise seemed to stir something deep in my memory. Something bad. It was another sound big, occupying the screech It was like a snail with an old-fashioned ship felling on huge carpets being beaten I realised the shock was, I was listening to the beating of huge wings We didn't scream, not at first We couldn't even move What came scratching out of those woods half slivering, half flapping, burnt itself into the mind of everyone that saw it, together with one word Dragon. It was huge, hundreds of feet long, it rose and shadows draped me as wood. the titanium back wings half open. Armour scales glistened in indissistant green shame, making rainbow patterns like oil. Water, four tree trunk thick legs terminated in clenching cipher talons. A tail seemed to trail endlessly into the woods with an increasing whirling, whithering and curling. At the end of the long neck was a horned horned head, a a pitiless nightmare. I saw a row upon row of carved white teeth, strong as steel, sharp as razors. A sharp, forked tongue. Flickered in and out of the scent of my lying jaws, tasting the air caustic, sour labour, dripped from the h- more hissing like water on a hot plate. It wasn't the teeth that scared me that the most, it was the eyes, vast orbs of golden fire and black slints. It looked so old, so very old. It turned to glance down at Alfred Landers. It regarded them with vile understanding. The wings opened and beat once. It up and out over the crowd landing and a canny agility in the no-man's land. Drows open, it spat full of white fire. Bulldozers exploded, cartwheeling high in the air, crashing down in charred ruin. The police called up, called in. The blinding white-hot blasts were dead, for they hit the floor. The heat boiled their innards, sending them vomiting from their own mouths as flaming liquid flesh. They danced briefly like ghastly marionettes, before coming wisp of carbon. To escape the blast, ran bells rang, bells Empty. the dragon fell upon them, the jaws flashed down, it seized the victim, it hoisted him of the loft and shook him, a man of a bull terrier, might shake a rat again and again, the jaws flashed as it snapped up, even prey the lurid, wet crunching, a handful of men escaped, running madly into the night, the beast could have easily caught them or struck them down a jet of flame. I think I wanted them to escape. It wanted them to tell their masters what he seen a draped bear of double up wrenching, as were most of the other possessors around me. Some have thrown themselves. I saw Billy the troll, scoop up a prone Mrs. Parkhurst around for cover. It screeched again as some dark memory rose inside me I was was a Friday night roaming across a plain under a hot sun running for my life. A puny mammal that spat and hissed as it scarpered for cover over the moving members of its kind. A massive black shadow fell across the land, airborne predators world above us. The screech came again, echoing through the ages, through the countless generations, across species to the present day. A race memory faded, leaving me in spasms. I heard a human voice. My mind clutched at it, like a drowning man, grabbing a branch. I knew he'd come, the old will. He could come right all right. He thought this home was getting messed with. I heard a bad hiss. Him's like an adder hibernates. But as an adder sleeps mumps. He can sleep a- aeons. There's loads of them all over the world. Just not time. For him to wake up yet. He began to laugh. Almost doubling up as much as I did in my sickness, a monstrous creature folded its titan, titan wings and slithered back into the woods. As it went, it seemed to be losing form again, coming more effortlessly. I turned my head up towards the hill and saw streaming coils, slipping ghosts like in the side of the hill itself. faces wounds, now quite healed, calmly picked up his coat and followed it. I wondered about his words. But just then, when would it be the right time for them to wake up? I never went back to Drake's Bear. The government abandoned its plans for the relief road. A quarry into what happened stated the one of the bulldozers exploded to a serious electrical fault. Flames engulfed several of machines, knighted their petrol tanks, men were killed in Syrian explosion. I'm not seeing any of my old friends from Elfland. I think that, like me, they have given up direct action, I now live in central London. As far as I can, but he would, still, when the wind whips up the trees in the park, making the branches sway or clouds and big shadows, sweeping across the land I shake, the ancient screech of the dragon still reaches you down through time. haunt me. What, what little sleep I have. You've you been you be listening to Drake's Bear by Richard Freeman from the book Green Unpleasant Land. This book represents my kicking back at the poor excuse of horror we had endured so long but my school second reason for writing this was to showcase some odd and overlooked pieces of British folklore too often history horror horror stuck in the rut of using the same subjects and monsters the folklore is a wealth of concepts and creatures and really tapped into my favourite era of Doctor Who was that of the third Doctor played by John Pertwee. I think one of the main one of the reasons I liked it so much and that was Mr. Petrie's Tanger in the title Rome. The Doctor was confirmed at and Earth, Mr. Britain, is what I have done here these 18 stories all set in Britain, even the present day or within living memory. Herein you'll find dragons and hellhounds, goblins and killer rodents, unicorns and basculins. There's a vampire story, but a creature in a, bear, a bear's scant resemblance to the bobbler and totally wrong public perception of them. I hope this book will open your eyes to potential horror and more than just teenage vampires hanging around schools. The book was illustrated by Sean Heston-Tolft. I will give this book a five-star recommendation. A horror book cult classic for the future. I hope you enjoyed the reading. I was given permission by Richard Freeman himself to read this story from his book. Thank you, Richard. Bye.